This morning, we're starting a new series uh, from the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark. Each week, our hope is to address and share from a chapter in Mark. So each week, we'll be reading um, a chapter uh, or preaching from a chapter. So this morning, it's from Mark 1. Uh, Next week, it'll be from Mark 2. And if you would like to, uh, we have or we're creating kind of a study guide for each of these chapters as well. So you can do some further work uh, over the course of the week. And if you don't have, if you don't get the Project 119 email, um, you can sign up for the Mark study guide by just emailing frontdesk at therivercrc.com. I think it's also in the bulletin. Just email frontdesk at therivercrc.com and you'll get a study guide created by somebody from the river. So I did Mark 1. Um, uh, Jody over there is a member of our team. And kind of a cool story, she started uh, for Mark II. Jody is in healthcare. She's a speech pathologist, um, and she has a, has a serious passion for people with disabilities. Um, she's since like a middle schooler. God called her to just care for people with disabilities through uh, some family stuff. Sorry to put you on blast here, but um, just really cool. Yesterday she's working on the study guide for Mark II, and the first story is in Mark 2 is about Jesus healing a paralytic. And Jody's writing, um, so we get a chance as a community to see this passage through her eyes. So I want to encourage you to sign up um, for that study guide by emailing Rachel frontdesk at therivercrc.com. I'm going to read through Mark 1, verses 1 through 8, and then comment um, and go back and kind of comment, okay? So we'll read it together. I want to encourage you also to bring your Bibles to this gathering. It's nice to be able to underline and put a note in and then later to come back to that to remind yourself, oh yeah, this is what God taught me in that time. So bring your Bibles, if if you can, to our gathering on Sunday morning here. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mark 1, verse 1. This is Mark's version of uh, the story about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Notice Mark isn't writing about how to get rich quick. He's not writing about how to make friends and influence people. Mark is telling a story. He's not laying out a doctrine. He's not telling people how to grow church. Mark is telling a story about Jesus Christ the Son of God. 
It's a deeply personal story to Mark or John Mark. Uh, we know from the early church history that John Mark, um, and also from the scripture, traveled with some of those early missionaries. He traveled with Paul. Some of you maybe have heard of Paul, the apostle, who wrote many of the books of the New Testament. John Mark traveled with Paul and Barnabas. And he's actually a relative of Barnabas. But you also know that on Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, Mark turned away. Mark left them, kind of in a lurch, much to the annoyance of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 15, you can read about uh, the story of this thing called the Jerusalem Council, which was like the early church gathering together, all the elders and kind of people who were sharing the message. They gathered together. And in that time, Barnabas and Paul decided to once again go on a journey, a missionary journey. They disagreed about whether or not they should take Mark. Paul said, no, he left us. You kind of see that with Paul sometimes. It seems a little bit hard. Barnabas said, no, we need to take him with us. So there's this battle about whether or not they should take him. So Paul and Barnabas, kind of two foundational pillars of Christianity, they split over this. Paul goes with Silas, and Barnabas takes his relative, John Mark. So he has experienced this, this like transformative love. You know what I'm saying? He's experienced like a second chance, another opportunity, despite the fact that he once turned from God, turned from this mission that he was called to. Mark is, is back. And uh, what's fascinating about this text, I think, is that Mark, um, we, we know from, this is from church history, that Mark gets his account of the gospel. He wasn't there. He didn't see Jesus do the things he's writing about. You know who he heard from? Anybody know? Peter. Somebody said it. Mark heard his account of Jesus from Peter. If you know anything about the Bible, Peter is is one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of the close ones. We would even say kind of one of the three in the inner circle. You got James and John and Peter. And so Peter has this incredible testimony about who Jesus is. Why? Well, if you read in Mark 14, you see that Peter also turned away. Peter also turned away from Christ. He denied him. He basically said, I don't know him. When people asked him in a crowd, hey, aren't you Peter, the guy who knows Jesus? What does Peter say? I don't know. And so Mark's tale, story, account of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has as a theme in it this idea of turning again. I don't know what your week was like this week. Mine was really interesting, um, and this is just like how the, the world kind of works. On one day, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, early in the week, um, my wife spotted a rat or a mouse or some little rodent in my home, an unwelcomed rodent in my home. And so um, my mom and dad are in town. My dad went to, uh, was at Home Depot and basically like bought the shelf of like, 
whatever it takes to get rid of these things, give it to me. So, I mean, they, get, they like make traps now out of like, there's like one that's like a tube and the thing goes in there and it doesn't come out. And you know, the big, like the big ones, the big traps or whatever. Um, I mean, it's like, it's like I'm, we're walking around our house. It's like a minefield of just, you don't want to be a rat in my house right now, people. And here's like the great irony of life, right? Two days later, or 48 hours, or 24 hours, I don't know, a little bit later, we're buying a gift for our four-year-old, and uh, we decide as a family, the girls, uh, for their little sister, decide, we're going to buy her a guinea pig. <laughs> so two days later, I'm at Petco, purchasing a rodent <laughs> for my, my daughter, and uh, the amount of money we spent to get rid of the ones is the same as the, about the amount of money that we spent to purchase the other one. And uh, one night I'm laying in my bed, you know, Monday night, just praying that a rat doesn't run across my face. And then like two days later, I'm holding one on my chest. <laughs> you with me? Okay. It's like, what does this have to do with anything? Um, life is just odd. It's full of twists and turns and strange moments, strange things, unexpected things, challenges, joy, fuzzy critters that make you angry and fuzzy critters that make you happy. It's full of of these jogs and unexpected turns. Yesterday, my dad and I were in our garage and... um, it was a beautiful day. It wasn't yesterday. It was amazing, wasn't it? After all, all that rain, man, Southern Californians were like suffering because we haven't seen the sun for four days. Like, where are you? And uh, we were outside just enjoying the uh, outdoors with our family. The kids were scootering and biking around the alley. And uh, we were, my dad and I were having a cool conversation about something. I think it was about God, actually, and like how deep and mysterious and like wild it is to be on this journey with him and on this path with him. And then all of a sudden, my, one of my daughters comes cruising down the alley and um, Ava, my oldest, and wipes out, big spill. Um, and I pick her up. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> I get it from my mom. She's like a crybaby. And uh, she, her face, you know, her, her nose is bleeding, and I look at her face, and I've never seen anything like this. There's just a very huge gash. Like, her head is like, you know, people say my head is split open, and I'm like, that's not real. Um, there's like a gash right here, and it's just, it's so scary. She's terrified. I'm trying not to be, because as a parent, you're, you know, hey, come on, we're going to take you to the... Inside, I'm just tripping, freaking out. And um, we get in the van, and Julie and myself and Ava are going to drive out to Fontana Kaiser. And um, the rest of my family goes inside, and they, Sophia, our our seven-year-old, kind of says to everybody, right, like, we're going to pray. Let's pray for Ava. So Julie and I are in the van, and we say, we're going to pray for Ava. We're going to pray that God does something, because... I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of it. I'm at the end of myself. And my daughter's got this like huge gash. Like it's split open, friends, like a quarter inch. I don't <laughs> thought about showing it up here or no. Um, 
We haven't even showed her a picture of it yet because it's so like, so ugly. This scar, this thing is so ugly. So we go to Kaiser, and um, the doctor looks at it, and uh, she says, "You know, well, I can stitch it out, but you can see she's hesitant to do this because it's not what she does every day." So she says, "We're going to call to the other, like at Kaiser, we were at urgent care, but we're going to call to the other side." Uh, which is like the main hospital, and see if the plastic surgeon will come. Okay, so we have doctor, we have plastic surgeon. And uh, she comes back in the room, she says, he's going to come. Um, he's going to come over here, and he's going he's gonna to stitch her up. Um, so we're, we're in the room waiting, and in walks the plastic surgeon. And um, in the hallway, I had shaken his, hands, his hand, and I was like, this dude's got magic hands. I can feel it, right? He's just got like amazing dexterity. I can feel it in the handshake. I was like, this guy's gonna be, he's gonna be good. And this plastic surgeon's name is Dr. Chin. Come on. <laughs> I was like, you, you do realize you were destined to be a plastic surgeon? He's like, I wanted to be an architect. I was like, I think plastic surgery is the right place for you, Dr. Chin. And all of a sudden, this room turns into like a movie. And, um, there's two med students who are training to be physician assistants. There's a medical assistant. There's Julie. There's me. And then the doctor, urgent care doctor. And then a nurse occasionally would pop in too. And they're all watching Dr. Chin like do his thing. So he's magic hands. And he does one layer of stitches. And then he does another layer of stitches. And then he does the last layer of stitches. And when he stitches that up, it's like it, like this amazing seal, right? Like they're all looking at it. The doctor is looking at it like, oh my gosh, that looks so amazing. The nurses and the medical assistants, they're just like, oh, this is amazing. And Julie and I are sitting there like, oh, we can't believe that God has answered this, this prayer to bring this healer into our daughter's life at this time. So Julie um, is talking to the doctor before we leave. And this doctor of urgent care, um, who's seeing people come in a lot, she starts to cry. And she says, I've never seen that before. They've, I, I haven't seen them come from across there into urgent care. And uh, she said, I could never have done what he did. Um, and so we get in the hall, and we're, I'm holding my daughter's hand. It's like an hour and a half later, we're walking out, and um, you know we're just crying. Like, how how amazing can it be, Lord? Like, how good can you be? How how amazing of a healer are you? You know that you would restore her in this way. And we're driving, we just can't believe it. And they had made us promise her yogurt land when she was on that table. The nurse, like a little nurse trick, talk about ice cream, give the kids something to think about. So we're going to head there, but um, we ended up going to McDonald's because it's amazing. And <laughs> just full of, of this sense of like God with us, right? This good news, this amazing story about a God who is not distant or far off, but who has come to us in his son, who has revealed his love for us in his son. 
and offered us and extended us his presence, his spirit. That's the story Mark wants you and I to know. That's the life Mark is inviting us to live into. One of of radical trust. One where we place our lives before him. He goes on, verse 2. It's written in Isaiah. I will send my messenger ahead of you. This is uh, God speaking to the Messiah. Right, the father speaking to the son, he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And this is a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So about 700 years before Jesus, 700 years before Jesus comes, this prophecy is uttered that ahead of God's presence, will come someone to prepare the way. And that someone is John the baptized, John the baptizer, or John the Baptist. In verse four it says, and so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you're a, a Jewish person hearing this message, John talking about um, John being in the desert, a call, a voice of one in the desert, your mind is like ringing uh, your heart is, is singing because the desert for you is a place of transformation. When the people of God were liberated from Egypt, where did they go? The wilderness, the desert. And so the desert is a place of, of scarcity. It's, we would say, a place where we're kind of stripped of things, stripped of self-dependence, Stripped of self-reliance. Stripped of the idea that we can do it. We're stripped of all that in the desert. It's a, it's a wilderness. But it's, it's also a place where we decide where we're going to turn. Because if you remember the story of the people of Israel, uh, many were not allowed to enter into the promised land, including Moses, their leader. You remember what happened with Moses? He became angry in the desert and he struck a rock in front of the people he struck a rock in his anger and part of his uh, the fruit of that was that he wasn't able to enter into the promised land and so the desert is fertile ground for, for complaint for bitterness for anger for frustration all of which I see in my life the desert is also a place where we can learn dependence and trust where we can turn not to ourselves or to our own methods, but we can turn to God. And so John the baptizer chooses that spot. It's strategic. This morning, um, think about it like this. Uh, Anybody have a spot that they associate with something meaningful or like, man, when I I go to this spot, when I think about this spot, anybody have a spot they're willing to share? I know it's kind of weird to yell it out, but Everybody got something? A spot that's important to you that you're willing to just shout out? Shower. Okay, yeah. The shower, right? Is the spot that you associate with like cleansing, okay? First service, somebody said their spot is the beach because um, after her father died, she uh, went to the beach 
And somebody had told her that grief is kind of like the tide. It ebbs and flows. And so she walked in and almost got swept away, but she didn't. And so that spot was important to her. Julie and I have like a spot where we were engaged. Um, It was a a pond down the street from my parents' house. And um, it's a place where I used to, it's a place of blessing because we would fish at the pond on the other side of the fence, but always look over into this other pond where it seemed like there were bigger fish. And so if we knew the coast was clear, that our neighbor who lived on the hill wasn't there, we would hop the fence and like go over and cast and then like catch a big one, a big bass, and be like, yeah, and then throw it back and then jump back over the fence, okay? And I decided, man, I'm gonna, I want to propose to my wife in that place um, because it's down the street a quarter mile. So when I was pretty sure he was gone, it was March, he was gone to like a warmer climate for the winter, I think that's where he was. I set up this bench right next to the, right next to the pond where there's this little creek, and my sister put a bunch of candles leading up to that spot, and that spot is a place of blessing for me because Julie said yes, all right? And I used to catch huge bass there. <laughs> and so this spot is like, has this meaning and this significance, okay? Our spots... Um, can do that. And this spot is a spot just rife with meaning. It would evoke in the people who were being called into it a really clear message. And the message is this. Come to the desert. It's the spot where you're going to decide where to turn. John makes it really clear where he thinks you ought to turn. He says, repent for the Kingdom of God is, is here, right? Repent. Turn. The word in Hebrew for turn is the word teshuvah, which means uh, to, to turn. It's the word to repent. And so repentance is a turn. It's a turn and about face, to face the truth, to turn to God, to put our trust and our life in his hands, to repent It's to put our life in God's hands. It's to, as John says, confess sins. To pursue forgiveness and right relationship with God. This is what it meant to prepare the path, to make the path straight. Here's the deal for us this morning. The direction that we face, the direction that you face, determines your destination or your place, if you want to be cheesy. The direction we face determines our place. And I have this incredible scientific study for you that I want to share. And I'm looking for two volunteers. There's a chance for you to win money. Not a lot of money. I'm Dutch and not, you know. A chance for you to win... I. First service, it was $20. I'm going to go $10. Second service. I need two volunteers. Yes, David, you're on fire this morning already. And Liz, why don't you come up here? 10 bucks on the line. No pressure, but in first service, they gave it back. So, <laughs> saying, come on up here. Come on up here. Okay. Hi, Liz. Hi, How are you? I'm good. Good. 
Uh, David, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to face that way, okay? And your challenge is going to be to walk that way. You cannot turn to the right or to the left. Walk that way until you get the money, okay? Or you hit a wall, whichever comes first. Liz, I want you to stand right here, right here, right there. And I want you to face straight ahead there. And I want you to walk and try to get the money. It's not a race, okay? But I want you to walk and see who gets there first. Mm-hmm. You with me? Yep. Three, two, one, go. Keep walking. There you go, David, you're doing great. Liz, oh, game over. Okay, Liz wins. <laughs> Yay, give it up for Liz. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, David. Thank Wait, you. let's try it again. Come up here. Come up here. Liz, come up here. Switch spots. This is, no, not socks. Don't switch socks. Spots. Here, this is yours. Okay. This is Scott's money, by the way. When he was praying for me, I put my hand in his pocket and took it out. Uh, Okay. Maybe it's the person. Maybe she's just smarter than you are or like has a better sense of direction or something. Maybe it has nothing to do with the direction you're faced and just has everything to do with the person. So. Well, the money's over there, but you, you have to turn this way. Okay, so I want you to face that way. No, you have to face that way and just walk until you either hit a wall. Okay, so here we go on the count of three. Ready, set, go. You don't have to run. Got it. Okay, stop. Woo! Give it up for David and Liz. Thank you. Take it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Who knew when you went to church this morning, people were going to be giving you money. Good things happen when you show up here. I'm telling you, good things always happen. Unless you're Scott and no more money in his pocket. So, you know, uh, boy, I was going to be a scientist. And with skills like that and experiments, you know, I almost thought about it. Because that was a really powerful experiment, wasn't it? Not really. Pretty clear... Pretty clear. It's not about your personality. It's not about your history. It's not about what you thought a day ago or a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago. It's about where are you facing today, right? It's about where are we facing today. That will determine the, the place that we end up. Mark is saying to, to, through John the Baptist that this path, this walk with Christ, this walk in understanding God is not so simple. It's not so easy. But it's about where we're facing. It, it's not an easy thing, but it is a clear thing. Because my tendency is to think I can fix my life or my friend's lives or, um, you know, my family's life. I can do it through this thing, through my intellect or skill or Google, and I go this way and that way and that way and then uh, often come back to the place where I say, God, I've relied on myself in the wilderness. I have searched and sought. 
I've, I've tried my way. And it's, it's foolishness. My way is foolishness. Years ago, there was a friend and I who decided we were going to go for a hike. And we wanted to go uh, up to Forest Falls. And we thought, you know what? We're going to go off-roading. And so, you know, when you hit the creek there, right up on the way up to Forest Falls, there's a little turnout. We turned out there. We got out of the car. And we looked up the mountain. And we said, this mountain's ours today. No path. I didn't break any bones. He didn't break any bones. But we were very tired and pretty sore. And a day or two later, incredibly itchy. And I developed a really bad case of poison fill in the blank. I don't know what it was. And when I say itchy, I mean like everywhere. When I say everywhere, I mean everywhere. This is the fruit of my way. You know what I'm saying? Are you with me this morning? This is the fruit of my way. The scripture says that the way of Christ often seems foolishness. It seems like foolishness to the world. To, to make the statement, the faith statement that I trust and I hope in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. This is, this is my way. And John the baptizer comes and says, if you want to experience life with God, the preparation for that blessing is through repentance. It's by turning to him to confess our sin and profess that he is God. It's not crazy complex, but it's not easy. The path and the journey with God, Mark is going to reveal, starts with a turn. It starts in a turn. The Christian community, our statement of faith is that our life starts with a turn. New life starts with a turn to God. When we face him and the truth and we come to him and confess our sin, I have fallen short of your glory. Would you work in me again today? Would you soften my doggone hard heart again today? What is in the way for you? I want to just ask you this question, church. What is the things in the way of you experiencing Jesus Christ, the Son of God? What things are in your way? What things are in your friend's way? And your neighbor's way? What things trip you up? Maybe it's like me and you just know better and you won't submit. I have a problem with surrender. Anybody else? I have a hard time surrendering my life to one that I cannot see. And yet the testimony of the text, the testimony of this community, the experience of my own life, is such that when I turn to face God and submit and surrender my life to him, I come to him and confess my, my sin, my arrogance, my pride. I confess my not understanding. He's faithful and good. This week, uh, there was a group of us who gathered 
at a local church down the road here on Lagonia Avenue called New Life. And the pastor started off by telling me the story about his sister-in-law. I said, how was your Christmas? He said, it was great. I said, what made it great? He said, my sister came um, and she had been studying at Oxford. And, you know, she's um, very open, uh, doesn't, doesn't like, like our lifestyle, doesn't like our belief. And so it often sometimes feels like we're butting heads when she's here. But um, he said this, this uh, prior to Christmas, she had been in Oxford studying, and each night she, you know, after studying, she goes to the pub, and there was a guy there in this pub from Zimbabwe, and his name was, ready for this? Hans. Hans. I'm sorry if there's a Hans. Hans Stakak used to go here. Anyhow. Hans from Zimbabwe came and walked alongside her. And every night for three weeks, Hans answered her questions. And he sat with her and he met. And they shared food and drink and they talked about God. And by the end of this three weeks, uh, she said to Hans, you know, I just have this sense that I, I need Christ in my life. I need that loving presence, that kindness, that, that one who is higher than any other that one who, who is above everything else, whom all authorities submit to, I need, I need him in my life. I need to surrender my life. So she came back to Redlands at Christmas, and Christmas was on Sunday this year, and she went um, with her family. She said, uh, what time is the service? And they were like, here it comes, here it comes, her blasting us for believing these things. She goes, what time is the service? And they said, uh, I think 10 o'clock. She said, I'd like to come with you guys. And they're like, what? So I'd like to come along, and I'd like to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'd like to be baptized. And so her sister, who had been praying and praying and praying for her, she's a teacher at Redlands Christian School here in town. Her sister had been praying for her for years. Her sister got to baptize her sister on Christmas this is the work that God does. This is not our work. This is what he does when we turn to him. This is the work that he does in our lives, in our family's lives, in our community's life, in our church's life, when we turn to him. When we say, Lord, you lead us. You clear the path. We come confessing our sin and our brokenness. We come confessing that it ain't in me to do it. But it is in you. It's in your character and your nature to reveal your love and your kindness through your son, Jesus Christ. It is him who we serve. This is why we gather. This is why we sing. This is why we give. It's in service to his name. And so our prayer for you as a community this week, what would it look like? Over the course of our study in Mark, Mark, who is one who knows what it's like to have a second chance, who turned again to Christ. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Why not try it? Why not try turning to Jesus? What do you have to lose? What could you possibly lose by turning to Jesus Christ and saying, here's my life Take it and make it and shape it and form it for your purposes in the world.
That's our prayer and our hope over the next 13 weeks. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we, we stand amazed in your presence. We're humbled by your mercy and love. We lift our hands and surrender and say there is no other name under heaven through which we can be saved. That is the name of Jesus that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, that's music in our ears, it's life, it's love, it's health, it's peace. Lord, we pray that the river of your eternal love would continue to flow through this community, through these people. We pray that the world might know your presence and your goodness, your kindness, and your grace through your Son, in whom is found life everlasting. This morning, we honor you for the work you're doing here. We ask you to release yourself more and more We come confessing our sin, confessing our self-reliance, confessing our skepticism and our doubt, all of it, confessing our pain, confessing that you are the one, you are the way, and we love you, and we put our lives at your feet. Amen.